Give your attention now to the Word of God from Genesis 37, and we will begin in verse 2 and read through 36. Hear now the Word of the Lord from Genesis 37. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Billah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream, and he told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in his mind. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here am I. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where are they pasturing the flock? And the man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit. Here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand and restore him to his father. So Joseph came to his brothers. They stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. And they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh, on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? 
Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe, and they slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. This is the word of the Lord. Father, this morning, in this strange story of pain and betrayal and grief, show us the hope of Jesus Christ, we ask in His name. Amen. Well, needless to say, this family's got a lot of problems. And so do many of ours. Is there hope for people like this? Is there hope for people like us? Well, I believe there is. I know there is. And over the next few weeks, as we move to this conclusion of our study in Genesis, all of these characters that we meet this morning... They're going to remain central to the message of that hope. So as we look at this account this morning, I want us to pay close attention to these characters. I want us to see ourselves in their lives, in their mess. This will be a long story arc for us over the next few weeks. But each week, little glimmers of hope will crescendo into a glorious salvation for the people of God. So I want us to lean in. And see ourselves in this story. This morning we will do that in four stages. The favoritism of Jacob or Israel. The immaturity of Joseph. The hatred of the brothers. And the hope for all of them and us. And we will do this with surprising efficiency. All right, first, the favoritism of Jacob. Ten or twelve years ago, our family began to get our first iPhones. My daughter Maddie came along and got my phone and she changed, changed her contact name in my phone to Maddie, the best daughter ever. Well, Maddie was just being silly and I thought it was cute. Well, I left it that way. A few years later, <clears throat> one of our other daughters made a remark that made me realize I had a problem. Maddie's name came up in a conversation and this other daughter, she said, well, she is the favorite daughter. At some point or other, this other daughter must have seen my phone ring and that name pop up, Maddie, the best daughter ever. 
Well, I had to straighten that out and fast. Explain the situation. And I'm thankful in our case it was put right and it was pretty easy to put right. But favoritism in a family can easily breed contempt. And Jacob's favoritism is, well, it was generational. Jacob's mother, Rebekah, had preferred him over his brother Esau. Jacob clearly preferred his wife, Rachel, over his other wives. And now that favoritism had manifested in Jacob's preferential love for Joseph, Rachel's son. And this favoritism had bred contempt. Look at verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a robe of many colors. Jacob's love for Joseph over the rest of his children was hardly subtle. Like a blinking iPhone with a silly name. But it was much more serious. This robe of many colors, it was a visual reminder every day to the other sons that Joseph was the true recipient of their father's love. In fact, that robe was more than just an extravagant gift. It very likely was a robe that signified some sort of royal implication. By giving Joseph this robe, Jacob was making the public statement that Joseph was the heir apparent of the family. This did not sit well with his older brothers. And that leads us to the immaturity of Joseph. There are several verses in the text this morning that help us understand why these brothers could not stand Joseph. In verse 2, we see that Joseph was prone to do a little tattling, wasn't he? The text says that one day he was tending the flock with a few of his brothers and he brought a bad report about them back to his father. But that's certainly not the worst of it. The problem's the dreams. Actually, the problem is the sharing of the dreams. Look at verse 6. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf rose and stood upright. And your sheaves, they gathered around it, and they all bowed down to mine. His brother said to him, Are you going to reign over us? You? Joseph, in his special coat, he walks up to his brothers and said, You're all going to bow down to me one day. Probably with a smile on his face. And as you read this, you just want to say to Joseph, Hey, Joe, even though this dream is from God, that might be a little nugget you want to keep to your color-coded self. But then some number of nights later, he has another dream. And the second dream is even worse. His father and his mother, they get added to the worshiping crowd. Look at verse 9. Then he dreamed another dream and told his brothers and said, Behold, I've dreamed another dream. Wait for this one. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. Well, this dream even upset his doting father. Jacob himself is going to worship Joseph. And we all know he's already doing that. But he doesn't see it that way. But Joseph does not know when to keep his mouth shut. And something about his father's doting and his favor has begun to make Joseph believe the hype about him. It becomes obvious to Joseph that everyone should bow down to him. 
He's bought the lie that it's all about him. Joseph is young, he's immature, and he needs to be humbled. And over the next few weeks, God is going to humble him. And God's going to do an amazing work in his life. Stay tuned for that. And that leads us to the hatred of the brothers. Who are these brothers? Well, it's complicated. I had to look it up. I can't keep it straight in my head. It is such a mess. You see, Jacob had two wives, Leah and Rachel. And each of these wives had servants. You can read chapter 30 for the full story, but let me summarize it for you. Due to a a rivalry between Leah and Rachel over the love of Jacob, in the periodic barrenness of both, Jacob has sons by Leah, Rachel, and their two servants, Billa and Zilpah. The brothers in this narrative are all the sons of Leah and Billa and Zilpah. Joseph, however, is the son of Rachel, his favorite. So like I said, it's complicated. I often hear people say, why does the Bible condone polygamy? Listen, just because the Bible reports something does not mean God approves of it. And when you read the Old Testament, you are hard-pressed to find an account where this sort of family situation or makeup leads to happiness and thriving and peace. And in this family, it clearly didn't. Some combination of Jacob's favoritism, the rivalry between the wives, the immaturity of that favorite son has left these brothers indignant. I was writing the sermon, I wondered to myself, is that, is that the right word, indignant? Is that the best way to describe these other brothers? So I looked it up. I'd quote it, but I don't remember which dictionary. But anyway, this is what it said. Indignant means feeling or showing anger or annoyance at what is perceived as unfair treatment. Yeah, that's it. And let's be honest, we can understand it. And as the narrative progresses, their indignation, it grows and grows. Look at verse 4. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him, or Joseph, more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. After the first dream, the end of verse 8 says, So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And after that second dream, verse 11 says, and his brothers were jealous of him. At this point, the crosshairs of this narrative, they turn squarely upon the hatred and jealousy of the brothers. Jacob has become concerned about his sons who are pasturing the flock in Shechem, and he sends Joseph out to check on them. Now let's pause here a second. Parents, does that sound like a good idea? Jacob sends Joseph far from home to check on his brothers who hate him. This act is revealing something. It reveals the deceitfulness and blinding power of sin. 
Apparently, neither Jacob nor Joseph knows just how much his brothers hate and envy Joseph. We have a narrator. But Jacob is blinded to what he's doing. You see, sin deceives and further corrupts an already corrupt heart. Jacob is so blinded by the sin of favoritism, he cannot see what he is doing to his family. And Joseph is so blinded by the attention and his own self-centeredness, he can't see what his gloating is doing to the relationship with his brothers. Shechem is some 50 miles from Hebron. And when Joseph finally gets to Shechem, his brothers aren't there. And a man finds him and he says, tell me where are my brothers pasturing the flock? And the man says, oh, they're over in Dothan, which is 15 more miles away from home. Joseph is a long way from home and the protection of his proud papa. And yet neither of them has seen the danger in this situation. And as Joseph finds his brothers and begins to approach him, verse 18 reads, They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. Don't let the fact that this event happened a long time ago lessen the tragic pain of these words. They conspired against him to kill him. There is so much to consider here. Again, the blinding nature of sin is at work. Hatred and envy are never good, but when they are nurtured and prolonged year after year, they turn into a murderous intent. Are you stuck in a cycle of hatred and envy for someone this morning? Let verse 18 be a wake-up call to your heart. If you are fostering hatred and envy in your heart this morning, let me invite you to lay it down. You may say, Eric, don't be so melodramatic. I'm not going to kill the guy. I just hate his guts. Everything he does annoys me. And if the truth be known... I should be the one, the one with the promotion, the one with the money, the one everybody fawns over all the time. If they knew what he was like, they would not worship him the way they do. If those words sound hauntingly like the voice in your head, listen, Jesus warns us, You have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And the Apostle John said it this way, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Here's what I'm trying to get across. When Joseph approaches his brothers in Dothan, just the sight of him from across the field induces in their hearts a murderous intent. How? Because in their hearts, they murdered him a long time ago. And now they have their chance. 
And out of the sight of their father, they are finally free, so to speak, to do what they have so longed to do for so long. Listen to verse 19. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will see what will become of his dream. And when he finally reaches them, I cannot imagine Joseph's surprise. He's exhausted. He's hungry. He's thirsty. He has dust in his probably overgrown eyebrows. And he's expecting a greeting. And before he can speak, they grab him violently. And the text says they strip him of his royal robe and throw him into a pit. They're going to kill him. But Reuben, probably with some self-serving motive, he saves Joseph from their hands. And after some debate, Reuben stops them, and then eventually Judah has the idea to sell him. Instead, they, they sell him for 20 shekels of silver to a passing caravan, caravan that takes Joseph to slavery in Egypt. They believe they're finally rid of this dreamer. And it will take cunning and lying and an enormous level of calloused hearts to convince their father, Jacob, that Joseph is dead. And one by one, they stand by heartlessly. And they watch as their father mourns to the point of death. Every one of them knowing, listen, every one of them knowing, they could ease his pain by coming clean and telling him the truth. Their hatred for Joseph has long since, long since, overtaken and conquered any real love they once had for their father. And as he sits in sackcloth covered in ashes and tears and sweat and snot, weeping himself into a shattered mess, they stand by heartlessly and let him do it. You know what? If the story ended there, we would be tempted to say, nope, there's no hope for this family. There's no hope for me. <clears throat> what hope is there for any of us stuck in these cycles of hatred and envy and dishonesty and these calloused hearts of ours? What hope is there? Well, as we continue in Joseph's story over the next few weeks, we're going to see, we're going to see that even though there is not one mention of God in this whole passage, God is more at work behind the scenes in this family than you could ever imagine. You'll be tempted not to believe it. That's how good it is. But now, even now, even in this text, we have the forerunners of hope. Forerunners of this great hope. Look at verse 36. This is as Joseph is sitting on the ground, covered in tears and sweat and sackcloth. Verse 36, meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him into Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Joseph is not dead. 
He's not in a great situation. But there is hope for him. His story is tragic, but it's not over. There is hope for Joseph, and as we will see, Joseph's hope becomes his family's hope. There is hope for calloused sinners like you and me. You see, Jacob was not the only concerned father who sent his son into a far country. And Joseph was not the only beloved son to go looking for his brothers, only to be rejected by them. Listen to these verses from the Gospels. John 3.16, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. John 1.11, He came to His own, but His own people did not receive Him. Matthew 26.14, Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. John eleven fifty three. 53, from that day on, they made plans to put Jesus to death. Matthew 27, 31, and when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and led him away to crucify him. Is there hope? For those who kill the one sent to them? Is there hope for us, men and women, caught in the blindness of our own hatred and envy? Yes, because Jesus Christ went through everything Joseph went through and more. Joseph should have humbled himself, but he spoke words of his own exaltation. Jesus, who would have been rightly exalted, humbled himself. Joseph flaunted his royal robe. Jesus laid his royal robe aside and took on the form of a servant became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Joseph was surprised when his brothers grabbed him and sent him to what he thought and they thought was surely going to be his death. Jesus left the courts of heaven knowing his brothers would nail him to a cross. And he came anyway. Not in spite of the cross, but for it. And as Jesus looked down at an angry crowd, at the men who turned him over, And at the soldier who drove the nails in his feet and hands, Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Are you convicted this morning of your hatred and envy? Your dishonesty? Your cunning? Any other wicked way that is in you? This table is proof Jesus Christ is willing to forgive. His words on the cross are proof He is ready to forgive. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore, Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, joined with power, power to save. He is able, He is able, He is willing, doubt no more. And you may say, I don't, I I love all that. I see what Jesus did. I don't know how to lay it down. I don't know how to grab onto that hope. I'm so locked in it. There's this interesting exchange between Jesus and Peter at the end of John's gospel. You'll remember it. Uh, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? 
And Peter says, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. He's giving him a call and a purpose. After all that Peter had done, after the way that Peter had betrayed him and in a sense handed him over himself. And three times he goes through this. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. Feed my sheep. And then something interesting happens. John comes walking up behind him. (laughs) And Peter says, what about him? See, Jesus turns his face from, Peter turns his face from the Lord. And he starts to look at John. He says, tell me about his story. I don't know what all is in that. But Jesus says this. What is this man to you? If it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Friends, that's, that's how you lay it down. That's how you lay it down. You stop worrying about everybody else. You stop worrying about who has more. You stop worrying about who has more love than you have from someone that you want it from. You you stop worrying about all of that and you turn your face to Jesus Christ because He loves you. And He loves you more than anybody else is going to. So you want to be free from envy and jealousy and rage and hatred and anger because of what you see in other people? Turn your gaze to Jesus Christ. (laughs) It's the only place you're going to find what you're looking for. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity and love, joined with power. Let's pray. God, we see ourselves in this story. Jesus, you came to your own and your own people rejected you. And we would have rejected you too, but for your love, for your saving love. Father, this morning we are holding on to sin. We're holding on to sin and jealousy and wickedness and envy and lust and self-centeredness and a thousand other things. And you promise to relieve us of it. I pray even now as we come to this table, even now we would say yes to you, Lord Jesus, and no to all those other idols. That we would bow down and worship you, the one to whom every knee will bow and tongue confess that you are Lord. And we pray for your sake and in your name. Amen.